0: Good morning. I'm going to be reading Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is the word of God. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Uh, Well, good morning, church family. Uh, It's so good for us to be together. For those of you who I don't know, uh, my name is Brian Carroll. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, And so really quick, um, just one, uh, we've said this before, but I think it's just always worth repeating from time to time. Um, You may notice, if you've been here for a little bit, that we stand when we read Uh, the word of God. Um, The point of that is, one, just obviously have this reverence for God's word, but it's also important for us that we make the distinction uh, between my words, between Ryan's words, and God's words. Uh, God's words, what what Lauren just read, uh, is perfect and infallible. Um, It is from God given to us through his spirit, Uh, and my words um, are very, very much fallible. Uh, very, very much uh, not perfect. And so it's important for us that we make those distinctions. Uh, and so that's why we stand uh, at the, before the preaching of the word so we can make sure we understand that. Uh, what I'm about to say is my best attempt to try to explain God's word, but God's word is perfect. So, anyways, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4. And so while you're turning there, I think it's one of the things, it's really important for us to know, Or not important for us to know, it's pretty obvious for all of us in this room, uh, that it is always easy to spot light when it's dark, right? It is very easy to spot light when it's dark. So when I was in college, I ran uh, cross-country and track at ASU, and, and one of the roads that they took us down uh, was a road called Burma Road. West, do you all still run Burma? Okay, we got a thumbs up, they still do it. 20 years later, let's go. Um, for those of you who don't know where Burma Road is, if so you go down Arden quite a bit of ways, there's this, this random road called Burma. You turn down it, it's very hilly, um, and it's very, very dark at 5 a.m. in the morning. And so usually what would happen, one of my earliest memories my freshman year of college was we would drive out there and be dropped off and have to make the trek back. And the thing was, the hardest part about that was not the running. That honestly came easy to us. Um, but the hardest part was the darkness. Because you could literally not, at least for us, you could literally not see the steps in front of you. There was a lot of trust that as you were running, there were no potholes or obstructions or anything else that could cause us to fall. Uh, and so um, it was, it was a very, very dark. So whenever we saw a car uh, drive our way, um, it was actually a source of light because we began to see... Uh, What was ahead of us? You know, the driver might have been confused why he saw a bunch of dudes in short shorts running down a country road at 5 a.m., but for us, it was life, right? For us, we could kind of start to see uh, where we were going. See, light can easily be found in the darkness, right? Light can easily be found in the darkness. But think about it this way. Um, Is light as easy to find when the darkness isn't as evident, is light is easy to find when the darkness isn't as evident. If Harry Potter doesn't know the evils of Lord Voldemort, what happens? Evil and darkness prevail. If, if, Batman, um, if Batman just lets the Joker run rampant uh, in Gotham City, it's going to get even more destroyed than it already is, right? Or if Napoleon Dynamite doesn't help his friend Pedro... <laughs> uh, win the election, the school will be ruled by the unkind, unruly, stuck-up Summer Wheatley, right? So we have to be able to see where darkness is in order to find the light. And sometimes darkness isn't always right in your face. Sometimes it's a little bit harder to spot. And so Jesus comes into this world. As we continue on through Mark chapter 4, Jesus is coming into this world to reveal that he is the light of all mankind. He is coming, comes into the world to show the world good news. And a lot of people who, who came to him and heard him teach and heard him speak, some would reject, some would be curious, ask more questions, and then some would also believe. But one of the things that as we have been saying the last few weeks is that Jesus would not be a chameleon and give people a version of himself that was not truly him. He would not be a chameleon, he would not blend in and give people a version of of him that they think he think that might have been palatable to their moment or something that they may have liked, but rather Um, He came to reveal himself as he truly is. And as he's made clear uh, through the book of Mark, is that we as a people must accept him on his terms. We must accept him on his terms. And a part of that is that we must have the same view of darkness, the same view of sin as he does. Because when we know what darkness is, we will see light. And the inverse of that is, when we don't know what darkness is, the light will be irrelevant to us. When we have the right view of the bad, we will be able to see the good. And so, in Mark chapter four, verse twenty-one, um, so Jesus again is in, in. We're in a section of Mark where he's telling these parables. Presumably, uh, in this specific parable, he's. You think about back in verse one of the chapter, he's on the Sea of Galilee in a boat, standing and teaching and teaching the crowd uh, about who he was. And he was teaching, like again, we said before, he's teaching in parables. And what a parable is, it's a story or metaphor to explain a deeper spiritual reality. And so the point of him sharing, we shared this quote last week, and I think it's helpful for us to bring it about again. um, A theologian once said that Jesus used the parabolic method not in order to blind people, not in order to blind them, but in order to make them look again about who he was not in order to prevent them from coming to forgiveness, but in order to lure them towards a new attention. Parables were meant to begin to open the minds of people. And so in this specific, specific parable, um, let me, let's go ahead and read in verse 21. Jesus says, And he said to them, is a, lamp brought in, sorry, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And so in this parable, Jesus gives the image of a lamp uh, and, and honestly it gives us a basic lesson of what the purpose of a lamp is, right? Most of us, when we have a lamp in our room, it's for what purpose? To see light, right? To show, like, what, what good would it do us to have a lamp and then just, like, stick it under our bed? Unless we're using it as a storage and it's a bad lamp we don't want anymore, right? It, it, a lamp has no use when you just stick it on the bed. Rather, you want to stick it on a lampstand lamp so it can illuminate the whole room. And so Jesus, again, he's not giving us a lesson in basic electricity here. He's exposing a deeper meaning and deeper reality. But what he says about the lamp is that a lamp is meant to be seen. Uh, it's, it's meant to be uh, exalted. And when he says in verse 22 that nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light, what is he saying here? He's saying that the purpose of the lamp is to reveal and disclose, to illuminate what is around them, not to be hidden, not to be a secret. And so again, Jesus is not talking about the purpose of an actual physical lamp, but something much deeper. What is it that he's wanting to be illuminated? What is, what is it meant to be illuminated? What is meant to be shown and displayed? Go ahead and turn to first John chapter one. And so uh, the, to understand a little bit more about this scripture, we need to let scripture be, continue to interpret itself. And so we're going to look to some other, another scripture in 1 John. But while you're turning there, um, John was one of the disciples who Jesus was with. And you look in Mark 33 through 34, um, it says that he spoke to people, like the common folk, uh, in parables. But with the disciples, he explained everything. So, John is what we're about to read was one of the ones who Jesus explained everything to. You can envision him sitting around a campfire or along the shore, and Jesus is explaining this parable and its meaning. And what you, I think in verse John 1 through 4, you begin to see this meaning kind of come forth. And so, he says in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, let me just read the whole thing. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are say, writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Notice the words that John uses here that which we have heard, that which we have seen, that which we have touched, that which we have looked. What kind of words are those? They're sensory words. They're they're words that are meant to help us understand that John's experience with Jesus was not intangible. John's experience with Jesus wasn't hypothetical, but rather he actually was with Jesus. He was with him. He was listening to him. He was with him for three years, and John is using this language uh, to help his audience see that he really exists. And what was the purpose of his existence? So in, you see that in verse 2, he uses this word manifest. Manifest means to, to reveal, to make known. It's the same, this word is the same word that John uses, sorry, that Mark uses back in verse 22. And what he is getting at is that the, the purpose of Jesus' ministry, uh, the purpose of him coming was ultimately to illuminate to the world around him that he was the son of God so that the people who would believe would have, what does he say in verse 3, may have fellowship with God may have relationship with God, may have union with God. The purpose of Jesus' coming was for him to be the light of the world, the savior of mankind that would bring sinful, broken man into relationship with the perfect father. And when we find ourselves in Mark 4, Jesus is in the middle, in the process of revealing to the world who he was. For those who, had, who would have ears to hear, they would see that this is the purpose of Jesus. He came into the world to light up, uh, to light up darkness, to show and to reveal brokenness and to ultimately reveal where life was to be found. And we see back in Mark uh, in verse 23, he says something that he also said back in verse 9. It's kind of a warning of sorts. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus gives this parable. He's essentially saying, I am the lamp. I'm revealing who I am. I'm revealing that I am the son of God. I am revealing that I am the savior of all mankind. I am revealing these things throughout my ministry. And those who have ears to hear will see it. Jesus in this parable is laying out to all who could hear that he was the Messiah that the prophets from the Old Testament talked about. He was the Messiah and that he was coming to bring about a kingdom which ultimately brought about fellowship and relationship with God. The The fellowship and relationship that John talked about in his letter. He was revealing that he was the lamp. And he was putting himself, in, hypothetically, metaphorically speaking, on top of a table for the world to see and hear. But as he's revealing, as he's showing the world about who he is, one of the things that he's also revealing is that he ha- he ha- we have to have an apt understanding of what darkness is. In order to have fellowship with him, we have to have, it, have to know what darkness is as Jesus sees darkness. We have to know what darkness is to see light. And so that brings up what the question is, what do, is it that we need to be saved from? What exactly was darkness? So if you're a first century Jew, which was the original audience of Mark, um, you saw Rome as your biggest threat. Rome was what you needed salvation from. The, the oppression uh, that Rome brought to the people, was, it was magnificent it was really really big they were very very oppressive first century jews would have saw, saw them as the main threat to their abundance and joy in this life but in all reality that wasn't what they really needed to be saved from rome wasn't the primary issue that's not to say rome wasn't an issue it was not the root issue of what did they need to be saved from and so today though we're not under the authority of Rome, um, uh, the echoes of how they might have answered might be similar. We might see a broken thing or system in this world and identify that as the threat, that as the danger, that as the thing that needs to be fixed. We, and what we often do a lot of times is that we look to creation to try to fix broken creation. We looked at the temporal things of this world to ultimately deal with these temporal things. And honestly, it's it's like trying to clean up a pile of mud with a muddy towel. What is that going to do? It's just going to make more mess. It's just going to make more mess. A lot of times we have things like, if we just had blank, then things would be better. If we could just get enough money in our bank account, then I would experience true comfort. If we can just get the right people elected in office then we will have a better nation. If we can just fix this social issue, if we can just fix this thing, then we'll see the brokenness in our community fixed and restored. If I can just see this, if I can just get this person to see this thing my way, then things will be right. Or if this person will just get theirs because they hurt me so bad, I will feel better if we misidentify, like I said, we could, there's lots of examples we could use, but if we misidentify what darkness is, if we misidentify the problem and what we actually need to be saved from, we will have a different view of darkness than Jesus. And in order to understand him as the lamp, as the light, we have to get this right. We have to understand how did Jesus feel, how did Jesus view darkness? And the thing is, like I said, we feel threatened by so many external things. I'm not saying that these things are unimportant. I'm not saying that these things aren't uh, things to evaluate and and see. But at the end of the day, these are not the primary things that we need to be saved from. These are not the primary things um, that need to be addressed in the service level. But rather, there's a root problem. There's a much deeper spiritual problem. See, whenever we're sick and we throw up, right? The throwing up isn't the problem, right? It's the virus behind it. Sin is the virus that has catapulted the darkness uh, that we see all around us. It, 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 sin is the thing that causes us separation from God. It's the thing that, that causes the brokenness that we see all around us. It literally, sin literally means missing the mark. Uh, I love how John Piper describes it he says it like this. He says, what is sin? Is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, and the person, the person of God not loved. This is sin. Mark does not begin his gospel pointing Israel to the hope of Rome, of being overthrown, which is what they wanted. He does not point to some tangible thing that they could fix in creation to ultimately bring them the salvation um, that they wanted from Rome. Rather, how does the gospel of Mark begin? It's from John the Baptist, a different John that we just talked about, proclaiming a message, repent and believe. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Because ultimately, that was the real issue. That was the thing that we needed to be saved from. That was the thing that was really going on with the brokenness all around them and also us. Because the thing is, if we misidentify how to deal with the brokenness of of the world, we won't get the right solution. And a lot of times what's even worse is if we misidentify the problem or if we, we continue to see the problem as out there, if we continue to see that the brokenness is out there, we won't actually realize that maybe we also are contributors to the brokenness in this world, that maybe also me has a problem that has contributed to the darkness that we see prevailing in our culture and society. When we don't see that we are contributors to the brokenness of this world, then again, we don't hear what Jesus is saying. We don't hear that what Jesus is saying if I'm honest with you, if I'm being honest with you, uh, this text was really hard for me to understand. I had all, I, it wasn't until like Wednesday or something like that, I kind of started grasping it. Then, then Ryan and I had a conversation and that and really brought about kind of some understanding. But if I'm honest, Ryan, I haven't told you this, but um, if I'm honest, because Ryan was very helpful in helping me understand and see this text. But as he was explaining this, what I could feel inside of me was a sense of pride and like wanting to be right and kind of just even like uh, some some I mean it really was, it was pride that was that was that was apparent in my heart um, because he had a better insight on it than me and he helped me uh, get like a greater understanding of this text. You know what that is? That's your pastor's sin. I say this to help you see and understand that I'm not just talking about, whenever I say that we have to look at our own hearts, I'm talking about me too. The the gospel applies to your pastor too. And so what we see is that we have to have an underview of the gospel. I have to have a view of darkness in which we see that we are just as much contributors to the brokenness uh, and, and that we see in darkness that we see around us. Because if we don't, if we keep looking, it's their problem, it's out there, it's their issue, then we will not have the right view of Jesus and we will be prideful and we'll be arrogant. And chances are we might even be a jerk. Jesus would be ushering in a new kingdom where the hope of mankind would ultimately would be found in being reunited with his creator. The hope of mankind would be being in this relationship with those who made us, the, the, with, the, with, with him who made us. And in order for this to happen, we have to understand our own brokenness. We have to see darkness correctly. And how do we see it correctly? We have to see that sin is not just an out there problem, but it's, an, it's a me problem too. Jesus' view of sin is that every person is plagued with it. Every person has it. And ultimately, he also knew that nobody could do anything about it. And that's why he came and did something about it himself. This is what Jesus came to tell the world for those who would hear. This is the gospel that Jesus would proclaim and, and put on a lampstand for the, and to illuminate for those who could actually see. And the fruit of those who hear would not be those who would try better and do more. It wouldn't be those who are morally superior. It wouldn't be those who abolished and could clean themselves up. Who could work hard enough. Who could have enough good works to meet God's requirements. But rather, it was those who saw their need and saw their own brokenness and realized, I also am a contributor to the brokenness around, around this world. Those who could see their need have a correct view of darkness and can see that the ultimate solution was not found in what they could do, but rather in who Jesus is and what he came to do. How do we deal with the root of our broken the darkness and sin? We can't delegate our, own, our brokenness to other people because that ultimately is going to lead to blame shifting. We can't just minimize it either and say it's not that big of a deal. Uh, we love the comparing game, don't we? At least I'm not filling the blank. But rather, what does Jesus say back in Mark 1:15? "The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel." What is repentance, but an embracing of the finished work of Christ, His life, his death, his resurrection. It's confessing that ultimately I couldn't do anything to save myself, but Jesus, his work on the cross, paid the penalty um, that my sin demanded. He did it, paid it in full, and ultimately that he is big enough to handle even the most broken and dark parts of our souls, the things that we especially want to hide. Jesus came to ultimately bring salvation and bring hope and bring, what, as what John said in 1 John, fellowship again, union again, relationship again uh, with him. This is only possible because of the finished work of Christ. And for those who see their need and believe in the name of Jesus and repent and turn from their sins and embrace, uh, embrace him, have this fellowship with God have this relationship with him. See, repentance, and we say it over and over again, we're going to continue to say it. Repentance is not a bad word, but rather it's an invitation to ultimately know our creator more. And that is what our hearts will ultimately long for. That is what brings true restoration and hope. And it is in this union with God, as we put our faith in him, that we also see something else happen. We see fruit. We see something being produced. Go ahead and look in verses 24 and 25. So Mark, uh, Jesus continues to say, he, so he finishes the first part of the parable and he has, goes into the second part and he says in verse 24, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So Jesus, again, he begins this, the second part of this parable with really an imperative. He says, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. What is he getting at in this verse? Because it's kind of It's a little tricky. It's kind of confusing. Because what you see in this verse is that there's a, a present action that leads to a future reality. There's a present thing. So what you measure, you will get measure, will be measured. And so it's a present thing that affects a future reality. And so kind of what he's getting at is what you do or believe in the present will affect what happens in the future. I don't mean this in a prosperity gospel sense. Believe Jesus and you're going to get stuff. That's not what, that's not what he's saying here. But he's saying, what you believe or do in the present will affect what happens in the future. Or what you measure now, what you measure now will produce what happens later. And so what does he mean by measure? What is is he getting at when he says, what you measure now? When Jesus is saying, when you measure now, he's saying that what we believe now What we believe now will influence what we do in the future. And so what he's getting at is that for those who rightly see who he is, who rightly embrace his messianic rule, who rightly embrace who he came to be, uh, who rightly believe in the gospel, not only will they see him correctly, but they will continue to see him correctly. And that continuing of seeing correctly will only bear more fruit. It'll only bear more fruit. See, as we see our need for God, God will give us more faith. And as he gives us more faith, he pushes out. He continues to push out the darkness in us. So what he's getting at here um, is that both of these verses are saying something similar. Um, the belief and faith that we have in Jesus is incredibly important. So that moment we put our faith in Christ for salvation... Um, For some of you guys, it might have been a moment. For for some of y'all, it might have been a season in which God was continuing to soften your heart and helping you see more clearly your brokenness and your need for him. Um, But as that work is being done in you, man, that's a great work. But the the reality of walking and following with Jesus is that the faith and the need for the gospel isn't just a one-time thing, but it's a perpetual, ongoing thing. So what Jesus is getting at here is that uh, those who who realize their need ongoingly, what will continue to happen is that as they see their dependency, uh, sorry, as they see their dependency on Him grow, as they see their need for Him grow, they'll only get more and more of Jesus. Dependency on Him only increases as we follow Jesus. Our need for Him and His grace only intensifies and multiplies as we mature. See, maturity isn't needing God less, but rather seeing our need for his grace more and more. That's what the maturity is. And because why why is that the case? Because we realize it's ultimately God who's the one who's producing the fruit in us. He's the one measuring. He's the one giving. And so when we see our need for him more and more, uh, that ultimately leads us to a place in which Um, We love him more and more. So it's not weakness, it's strength. It's strength because you're not looking to yourself, but you're looking to the one who actually was able to do the work. Sin will multiply sin. Darkness will multiply darkness. But light will multiply light. And Jesus' aim for us is not to walk in this posture like Eeyore and being like, woe is me, But rather, the fruit of our faith is that as we see and rely on him more, as we continue to trust in his grace more and more, he then is continuing to push out the darkness within us more and more. The more we trust in him to do the work in us, the more he is doing the work of helping us put our sin to death and bearing fruit. um, And ultimately, helps us enjoy and see him more clearly. It's Like what David says, if you look in Psalm 1, uh, he, he says, those who delight in the word of the Lord, those who delight in God, those who want to know God more, they're like a tree. They're like a tree who's planted by the stream and that bears fruit in its season. You think about a, the image of a tree uh, by a stream. It's constantly getting life. It's constantly getting what it needs. And the result of it is its fruit. For those of us who ab- abide in Jesus, and that's what it's, a lot of this is getting at. Our role in this is to abide. And the more we abide, um, the more we see that God is doing the work in us and producing the fruit in us. And so th- what is abiding but praying? Right? This is why we, we pray. Our role is to abide in Jesus. And prayer isn't just the thing we do before dinner. It's not just uh, us, you know, kind of going to God from time to time when we need something, but rather prayer is presence with God. Prayer is presence with God. And it is while we're present with him that we get to bring our needs before him. We get to ask him for help. We get to rely on him. And the more we rely on him, the more belief in the gospel we have. And what does Jesus say that we'll get? More faith. More of him. More more will be measured to you. See the the present reality of us seeing our need for Jesus only growing more and more as we abide in him will produce in the future a greater love and desire to know him. A a present reality affects a future outcome. And ultimately, what that that reality is, that once we see, we know what darkness is. Once we know that, man, we are the ones who are needy. We are the ones who are broken. Um, And we see that Jesus is the one who fixed it. And we're on our way. Once we know what darkness is, we can see light. And once we see the light, we know how to push out the darkness. And so, uh, Ben, you actually guys can go ahead and come on up. But he, here's what I want us to think about um, as, as we think about the moment that we're in, the moment that you're in. Where, this, does, where does this week, sorry where do you think you need the hope of the gospel this week? Where do you think you need the hope of Jesus this week? So one of the things I think we have, one of the misunderstandings I think that we often have is that we we think about the world in terms of secular and sacred. Um, That when we come to church, this is sacred, but when we go back to to work, when we're with our friends, um, these spaces are different. These are secular spaces. But the reality is when we are uh, when we have our faith in Jesus, when we've repented and believed in the good news of Jesus, when we put our hope in Him, when we've rightly seen darkness and that it's in us, and we've rightly seen the solution in the person of Jesus, we are then now carriers of gospel in all of life. Everywhere, everywhere we go, no matter where. So when you're with your families, when you're with your friends, when you're with your coworkers, when you're uh, your, when you're just playing in whatever your hobby is. In those spaces, those spaces are sacred because you are a carrier of the gospel in those spaces. And so that's why I ask the question the way I do is, where do you see the hope of the gospel this week? Where do you need the hope of the gospel this week? I know for, for some of y'all, y'all might find yourselves in a season of suffering, a season in which it's been really hard. You, you, you're wondering and asking God, Man, when will it stop? When when will things get easier? When will things get lighter? When will there be pain relieved? The gospel is good news for you this week because not only do you have a Savior who knows what suffering is like because that's what he did when he went to the cross, but we also have a Savior who promised these things. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. For some, some of y'all in this room, you might still feel that God needs your performance because you might still feel like you've got to try to do enough to to, to gain God's approval. You, You think that God needs a polished and clean version of yourself. What might it look for you to trust in this finished work of Christ on the cross? That he actually really did pay the penalty for all your sins, past, present, and future. And that his only requirement of you isn't to work harder, do better, try harder, but his only requirement come to you is that you would bring your need to him. Because when you bring your need to him, again, you are seeing darkness correctly and you're seeing your hope rightly, because he is big enough to help you and to work through you. He didn't, doesn't need us, but rather he invites us to be a part of what he's doing. I know for some of you in here, there might be fear of people in your life in such a way that, that their, the opinion, the approval, the acceptance of others is so like guiding in all that you do that it feels crippling, that it creates anxiety, it creates worry, it creates all these things. The hope of the gospel for you this week is that you would trust that that, man, that, that the fear of man is a snare, but those who trust in the Lord are safe. And that the approval you have in Christ is better than anything man can give you. Some of you in here may not know Jesus. And first of all, I'm glad that y'all are here. This is, we want this to be a space to be curious. We want this to be a space to ask questions. We just want this to be a space in which you can wrestle and, and try to figure things out. Um, and I don't know what backgrounds you might have with church or with Jesus. But I I would encourage you to consider the hope of the gospel for you. Um, As Jesus has revealed himself, it's actually good news. It's not a sign of weakness to admit weakness. It's actually a sign of strength because you're going to the one who can help. I would just ask you to consider Jesus. Wherever you might be, the gospel is good news for you this week. The gospel is good news for your heart. And what Jesus is getting at in Mark 24, 21 through 25 is that one, he is the light of the world. He came to reveal uh, where hope was found. And a part of that is understanding where darkness is and that it's in us. But Jesus is kind and gracious that he didn't leave us there. And the more we trust in him, the more we put our faith in him, the more that we realize our need and our dependency on him, the more fruit we will bear so we want to be a people who have this daily need for the grace of God because that's where we find life. And that's why we take communion. That's why we come to the table every week. We come to the table to be reminded that our hope does not come from ourselves, but rather it comes from the finished work of Christ. We, we take the juice, which symbolizes the blood of Christ spilled on our behalf for our sins. We eat the bread to, 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 to remind ourselves that Christ broke his body on the cross for us. And we take this meal every week because we need to be reminded every week, don't we? We need to be reminded every week that, that the grace of God is for you in this moment, no matter what it is that you're bringing into this room. The hope of Mark 21 through 25 is that we would be a people who just go to God and go to Jesus and, hope, and find our life there. And so, so we have a table in the back and table tables on the side. Um, they are gluten free. If that's something that um, that you need, um, and we also just ask that that the, the table is for believers only. And so, if you are a non-believer, you're still working through. Hey, we're glad you're here, um, but we just ask that you would refrain because this is a family meal. But we have to remind that Jesus came to be the light of the world. He, called, he, he came to, to call us to a life of faith in him and repentance that ultimately we might have fellowship and eternal life in him. And my hope for each one of us, regardless of where you find yourself this morning, is that we would have ears to hear, that we would pay attention, and that we would see Jesus for as he's revealed himself through his word. And so God, we are thankful again for your kindness towards us. We are thankful for the person of Jesus that you made a way for us. And so we ask that you would continue to help us, continue to help us know you more. We're thankful, Lord, that you've given us hope. And so I pray right now as we take communion together that you would just remind us of the grace that is freely given to us in you.